the past four weeks, we've been in a series called Shattered. So we've been in the book of Esther uh, the past four weeks. We are, we are done with that. Esther is done. Uh, so we'll be talking about something that is close to me. We actually will be able to talk about youth uh, later on in this message. But before we get into that, uh, something else that I really, really enjoy that I, I'm tired of not talking about from the stage is how great is it that the weather is as good as it is right now. Like, it's been a long winter, right? And the sun is shining, and like, it was a little bit chilly this morning, but like 42, I mean, come on, that's still like tropical compared to what we experienced before. And there's a lot of really great things that come out of that. So like a lot of you have like maybe vacations planned. Uh, if you're like, a, uh, if you've got a motorcycle, I know you've been out riding that around plenty. We just had a, a bike ride uh, just recently with our central riders here. Um, you know, you got the swimming pool open. How, I'm going to talk about sports though, because we know that we're turning the corner into our warm weather sports. So I'm going to kind of pull the room here. Uh, parents or students or kids or whoever that is, if you're involved with soccer, this summer. Anybody? Soccer? Yep. Okay, gotcha. Very American. We, we <laughs> uh, how about, uh, how about, how about uh, American football? So football, uh, we got like, we, we got um, you know, camps starting up. We got football that starts like late summer. Anybody involved with football? Looking forward to that. Really? That's normally more popular than that. Yeah, okay, we got, some, we got some hands here. Okay, how about baseball? Softball or baseball? Yeah, tons of hands with that one. So that was me. Uh, I was a, I was, when I was a kid, I, I was a baseball kid. And here's proof of that. Uh, bottom right, the, um, <laughs> what? <laughs> it's a handsome looking kid. All right, all right. Whatever, we won't, we won't hang on that. But uh, I uh, loved baseball as a kid. I'll clarify that I loved watching baseball. I loved collecting baseball cards. Um, I liked the idea of baseball, but I stunk at baseball. I'm not, not coordinated. Uh, I did cross country, uh, which I think is like the truest sport that there is, but that was because I couldn't like catch a throw super well. Uh, I was like out in right field, which you know you put the kid that does not like to field the ball out there. I dreaded having the ball hit my direction. It was it was terrible. It was bad. Uh, but not nearly as bad as when you'd go up into the batter's box, and I was the kid that was afraid of the ball. I was afraid of the pitch uh, because I'd gotten hit before. I got like hit in like the ribs like on the, on the foot once, and it hurts. So I'm like, I don't want any part of that. That's not any fun to me at all. So I'd be up in the batter's box, and I'd like, kind of like, you know, be ready. And then as soon as the pitcher would like go to like wind up and pitch it, because, you know, like the, the kids are just starting to pitch at like the age of like 9, 10, where we're at it, that there. And as they're winding up, I'm like getting out of the batter's box right away. Like, I'm like, that's, I saw it. It's coming right for me. I know it was gonna, that pitch was going to hit me. And it's like, the ball wasn't even in the air yet. Um, so that was like the condition uh, that I was in. I was like terrified. Sometimes, some days I would just refuse to go up and hit if it was like a bad day. And uh, you go to like the end of this uh, baseball season. Uh, we got like our 10-year-old little league. Uh, I, I don't remember all the specific circumstances, but I remember it was an important game. It was, um, you know, late in the season uh, and we were losing by a little bit. It was like that last inning and we had two outs. And I'm up to bat. Why are you laughing at me already? I... <laughs> Um, so I'm up to bat, and I'm like, I don't want to go. This is terrible. And uh, the, the, the coach, you know, he like, he, you know, gives me that, this, this really good pep talk, and I get, it gets on my face, and he's like, you, you believe this? I don't remember what he said, but it was probably really, really good because I got up in the batter's box, and I like kind of like dug in. I'm like, I'm not moving. This is, this is all mine. Uh, I, I, I believed in myself. And first pitch, where do you think it's going? 
It's coming right at my head. I knew it. I knew I shouldn't have stayed in the virus box. So I go to turn, and I like Superman out of the, out of the box. I'm, I'm like full sprawl. I landed like on my stomach on the ground. Like, oh, I was, I was like, I'm going to lay here for a little bit. Um, but what had happened is when I went to turn, my bat made contact with the baseball, and it, and it went fair. It like dinked fair, like a little bunt right there. And so I'm laying on the ground. I didn't know that it happened. The, the pitcher and the catcher are like, this man is unconscious. Do we tag him out? Like, what, what do we do? So they're standing there, and there's like this like moment of like silence. And then all of a sudden, I hear from the stands just, Run! <laughs> I snap, dude, I pop up. I'm like, oh, like the story would be so much better if I ran for third base, but that's not what I did. I went, I went for first. Uh, so I take off running, and the pitcher and the catcher are like, oh, okay. So they grab the ball, and they throw it to first, and they overthrew first base, and I got on base, and I, like, that was my, that was my first hit of the season, by the way. My, own, my only hit of the season. And you know what? Like, the rest of my teammates, like, they're like, oh, let's, let's go. And we come back, and we won that game. We won that baseball game off of my, thank you. Thank you. And I, yeah, I felt like a champion. I felt like, I felt like an absolute champion. Uh, so a uh, little bit of a, of a turn here. I'm going to introduce you to, uh, to someone here. Uh, anyone know who this is? Yeah, Jimmy G, Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to compare myself to him. Um, <laughs> I, why is that funny? I just... <laughs> Um, so Jimmy Garoppolo, for those of you who don't know, he's an NFL quarterback. He plays for the San Francisco 49ers, and he has two Super Bowl rings. He has two Super Bowl rings, um, but he got them when he was backing up a guy named Tom Brady in uh, New England. So he has these, these Super Bowl rings. He went on the parades, right? He partied. He probably got like a pretty big bonus. But when you put yourself in, in Jimmy's shoes, even though he's got more Super Bowl rings uh, than Aaron Rodgers, which I don't know, just random, random guy I'll, I'll throw out there. It doesn't matter. Um, whatever, is it, if that's, I'm a Vikings fan, whatever, you, know, you guys don't care. <laughs> um, so he, he's got these rings, but what I can't help but wonder is like, surely he's not as satisfied with these rings as the people who were like on the field playing, right? Like Tom Brady and that team, they earned those rings. Uh, and you know, Jimmy was there for like moral support too, but like, you know, I, I can't help but think he was missing out on something. That as you're on that parade, like you're not celebrating as much, right? If you weren't out in the field, like you're not as like, I don't know, like proud of yourself. That the, the metaphor begins to break down for what we'll talk about here. But um, the same situation for if I had stayed on the bench during that game, if I had not had that hit and the team had come back to win, I still would have been happy. Like I still would have been on the team, right? But I wouldn't have contributed to it, so I would have been missing something. I would have missed out on an opportunity to, to celebrate to the greatest extent. And that's what we get to talk about today. Um, uh, the title of this message is uh, Put Me in Coach, and kind of where we're going with this is the idea that, like, we are called to something if we are, are Christians. Like, we're, we're saved and we're, and we're, we're sealed with, with Jesus forever. But this idea of, like, here's what we know about God, right? Like, we know that um, God wins in the end, right? Like, if we know anything about God, we know that he defeats uh, evil and death and sin uh, in the end and that there's going to be this massive celebration. And um, for, for anybody who, who doesn't know, you know, 
we get to be on that winning team. We get to have that certainty if we believe in Jesus. Like, if we believe in Jesus Christ and he is who he says he is, um, then we're on that team. But what we're going to talk about this morning is, uh, as we're on that team, are, are we warming the bench or are we on the field doing that? Because I believe if we're, if, we're, if we're on the bench and we're not getting into the game and stepping up to the plate, we're going to miss something. So I'm going to present us with two needs this morning, one up front and one kind of the back end of the message here, uh, that I think we really need to grapple with this morning. I, I, I invite and pray that we do so. So our first need here, um, and we've actually said this at Central a lot before. In fact, this was said last week by Ryan. Uh, our first need is uh, the idea that we're not called to be spectators. Uh, we're called to be participants. We're not called to be spectators. We're called to be uh, participants. And that's uh, what I hope we get to see in the Scripture uh, this morning. So we're going to be in Matthew 9. If you've got a Bible, uh, go ahead and open that up. Turn to it. Uh, Unlock that on your phone. Matthew 9. We'll start in verse 35. I'm going to have three points uh, to make this morning, and then we'll close with a, a very specific application, actually. Um, so to set up Matthew, uh, it's in the beginning of the New Testament, and this is, um, we get a glimpse of Jesus' Jesus's ministry uh, in full swing in, in, in this chapter. So this is like, he is off and running, he's got his disciples, and we get to see in this chapter how he is interacting with people. So we'll start here, again, chapter 9, verse 35, with it saying this. So Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. So you've got like a, a one-sentence like summary of Jesus' ministry here on earth. He's proclaiming the kingdom. He's healing people. He's doing such miraculous work that it's attracting like these huge like, like droves of people to him, um, which is what we see here in the next verse in 36. When he saw the crowds— he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So uh, I picked up on something uh, in, in this verse here that this word uh, in the Greek for compassion, uh, let's go ahead and flash it up here. I want you to turn your neighbor and uh, try to just pronounce that word to each other right now if you, if you would be so kind. I'm hearing some phlegm out there a little bit. Uh, <laughs> So yeah, uh, let's say it all together here. Splunknizomai, right? We all got that in the first try, right? Splunknizomai, which sounds like this like this like combination between like a German pastry and like a Greek word together. Splunknizomai. It is such a fun word to say. I've been saying it for two weeks. Uh, Splunknizomai. But what makes this word really really uh, unique? Uh, its its definition is to have compassion or deep sympathy. So it's translated for us as compassion. But what makes this interesting is that this word splunknizomai is only ever attributed to Jesus. It's never now. There's a root word here, splunkna, splunkna, which is you know like a even more of a German pastry. Uh, but splunkna would would be like to have like general sympathy or pity on on someone. It's like this kind of like. Okay, it's, it's, it's kind of lukewarm. It's uh, uh, what a lot of us tend to do. But splonknizomai, this is, this is something that implies like action, like love that motivates you uh, to act in love and not just passive sympathy. So our first point here is this. Uh, Jesus has compassion on those uh, most in need of a shepherd of those most in need of a shepherd. Because the key words that uh, I also see here as I'm reading this text are that, um, you know, they were harassed and they were helpless, right? Um, 
and I don't know if we've ever been around like a harassed and helpless person, but like th- there's a lot of like desperation there, right? And, and we, t- we typically, and I'm not proud of, proud of this too, but like when we come across a truly desperate, messy, end of the rope person, we, we, we want to help also from a self-preservation standpoint. We try to like keep them at arm's length too, right? Like we try to have that conversation quickly and then, and then get back to our business. And that's not what Jesus does at all. He's got this, these like just drove of desperate, helpless people, and he sees them, and he has this, this insane compassion on them. And that, because we're called as Christians to be imitators of Jesus, that's where he wants us to go as well. That's what he commands us so often, is we, you need to be loving your neighbor in this way. Not just a, a passive thing, but actively get down in, into it. And nobody would do this better than Jesus, right? Because Jesus you know, he was in heaven. He took on flesh and got down in the dirt and the grit with us because that's like the best form of splonkinesomai, of this compassion that I can think of. Um, so he's putting his money where his mouth is on this, right? Um, and by the way, before we move on from this, uh, just know if you don't take anything else from this, which I hope you do take something else, but if nothing else, just know that this is the variety of love that God gives to you. That as you are helpless and harassed and, and in whatever situation, Jesus is, is there with you and he's, and he's with you in that grit. So just take comfort in that briefly um, here this morning. Keep reflecting on that. But um, in the meantime, uh, let's go deeper. We're going to continue reading here this in verse 37. So he sees the harassed and helpless people. It says this, um, Then Jesus said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So this part, um, this part sticks out to me, you guys, because uh, here's why. So we said it last week, God uses people. That, that, that Ryan just, what people, 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 God uses people. And we're encouraged by that, but how insane is that? Like, we're talking about God, and, like, and Jesus could have gone through his ministry and, and gone zap, healed, zap, healed, zap, healed, zap, healed, and done that with no help at all because he's God. But he chooses to use people and to send workers into the harvest people, and, and the harvest. And that is insane when you consider the story of the Bible up to this point. So, you know, we've read through the, the Old Testament once we arrive at the book of, of Matthew, and we see that um, this is— um, not just like trying your, like the people of God are not just like trying their best and falling short. Like they are actively running the other direction. They know who God is. They've seen him rain down like bread and manna from, from heaven and do all these incredible things. But at the end of the day, they say, no, like I'm going to do what I want to do. Like I'm going to, I'm going to give a finger to God. I'm going to run the other direction and I'm going to do what I feel is best here. And this is, um, this is the human condition. Like, this is uh, what we have inside of each of our hearts, this idea that we want to be in control. And Isaiah, uh, in the book of Isaiah, the, the prophet uh, kind of summarizes this reality. You don't have to turn there, but we'll show it on the screen. Isaiah 53, 6 says that we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So that verse ends with the hope that Jesus lays that on us, but let's not miss out on that we were actively sinning and running the opposite direction when Jesus chose to die on the cross and save us. Like, there's nothing that we have done to earn that, and he invites us into that. But what we're seeing here uh, from Jesus sending these workers into the field is that he doesn't just stop there. 
Um, point number two is we get to be called workers. Like we, we, we're not, we don't have to be workers. We get to be called workers. That Jesus takes these incredibly um, sinful and broken people and transforms them and, and heals them and says, now you get to go and, and help me do this work and to join in this joy with me. Um, there's a specific example of this uh, in John 15, and many of us uh, might be familiar, but just um, one of Jesus' disciples uh, named Peter, and in this passage he's referred to as uh, Simon Peter or just Simon. Um, oh, we've heard the story, right, of that Peter was like gung-ho, just like, I, I, I love Jesus so, I love you Jesus so much, I'm going to go with you and die on the cross with you and, and all, all this stuff. But then the moment of truth, he, he fails, right? He, he denies Jesus three times before the rooster crows, and he goes off and he, and he weeps bitterly. Like, he failed harder than, like, anybody has failed in terms of like he denied Jesus like to his face. Like he says like, I don't know you. I've walked with you for three years, but I don't know you. Like how disappointed would you be in yourself at this point? But here's what we see in John 15. So this is after Jesus has died, risen from the dead, come back to his disciples and is eating and reclining at the table with his disciples. Uh, It says this starting in verse 15. Uh, When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt uh, because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. So Jesus wasn't just forgiving Peter. He was saying, I'm calling you to something even higher than that. I don't want you to sit on the bench and, and just know that I've got you covered. I want you to, to get on the field here and experience this victory alongside of me. Like I'm fixing this here and I want to show you how to fix this too. I'm going to show you so uh, so, so well how to fix this that you're going to be able to show other people too and be able to spread that good news by um, what I'm empowering you to do. Um, and, and the bottom line of that is this, is despite our rebellion, not figurative, like we know, despite our rebellion, God redeems us and lets us help with the rebuild. And how do we remain lukewarm when we know that? How do we remain uh, off to the side, not stepping on the plate, when we know we've received that variety of love? I, I don't know how I do it, uh, and I catch myself in, in that all the time, all the stinking time. Um, but we know there's not condemnation, right? This is an exciting morning. This is, this is excitement that we know we get to run and do that. And my prayer for us this morning is that we would do that. We're going to go one step more in this scripture, and then we're going to get to our second need here. Uh, turning kind of the, the page into Matthew chapter 10, just the first verse here. Uh, says this, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. So our third point here this morning is we have power from Jesus that ensures victory. So if you come back to the idea of um, like when I was in the batter's box as a kid, I, I, I dug in and, you know, I just had this like faith of like, this is gonna work out. I got you know, that, that kid got up off the bench, got a pep talk from, from coach, and uh, hung in there. And not because I'm any good at baseball, because we've established not the case at all. Um, but, but still, like, 
that was used by the team, that small act of faith behaved powerfully. And that's what I believe Jesus does with us. That even this small act of, I'm scared. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going to step up to the plate. I'm going I'm to see what happens here. And uh, somebody uh, pointed out to me at one point, just like, shouldn't you just like, couldn't you just like take one for the team? Like you need to like dive out of the way, all that stuff. Uh, first of all, insensitive. The baseball is scary. Uh, second of all, though, like, yeah, like if, if I had taken the ball, like I would have still gotten on base. Like even if like that had come out as like a failure, um, we know that God still uses whatever we're faithfully putting out uh, at his feet in his name and uses that for benefit. So even if we're getting hit by the pitch, even if it seems like things are failing, God is able to use that. God's able to use that so powerfully. So our bottom line on this whole thing that I, I want to have us rest on is just this reminder that as Christians, we're on the winning team. Like, we are on the winning team, but are you in the game? Like, am I in the game? I, I know that I'm saved. I know that there's nothing I can do to earn that, but when it comes down to it, the kingdom of God is coming back, and do I get to celebrate as fully as I possibly can in that reality? Because I know that I put uh, my blood, sweat, and tears as God has enabled me into doing that thing. So th there's our first need right there. Uh, the second need, uh, I get to talk a little bit more specifically about how we can apply this. Uh, I'm very excited about this because this is the reason uh, that I am here in Carroll. Um, but uh, but I want to urge us to apply something here, and that is uh, what I believe is, is one of the greatest needs of the church, and that is, that is investing in the next generation. That to, to go out onto the field and get off the bench would mean to invest in the next generation so that they could grow up to know Jesus uh, as well. So have you ever heard this expression, and this is applicable this morning, that um, the wave always starts in the student section? The wave always starts in the student section, right? Any football game, the student section is the one that's like getting the crowd going and they're, the, the wave is starting from there and, you know, they're excited about that. But more than uh, literally, even metaphorically, we know that like it is the young generation that gets stuff going, right? And the world knows this. Like, look at like, this is a super, like, this is not a relevant uh, comparison by Woodstock, for example. Like, Woodstock was like a group of young people just like, we are gonna just just raise it right now. And this is going to be like one of like the single like biggest like concert like movements uh, in history at the time. And we also see tech companies know this too. Like if you want to get a product off the ground, you market yourself to the young generation, to teenagers, to young adults, you do this. And teens are just the ones that are setting trends. If you don't believe me, look at TikTok. They are, they are starting like so much uh, on that platform. That is some of the, the funniest, most creative stuff. I know TikTok gets a bad rep in, in large part, maybe it should, but some of the cr most creative, hilarious pe young people are on there just, just doing this groundswell. It is um, something um, that is true of that generation, and Jesus knows this as well. Uh, Jesus knew this in his time on earth because when you look at who he invested his time into, he invested his time in young people. He invested his time uh, all over the place like in, in a variety of different people, and everybody who he met was impacted but his 12 disciples were a group of young men. Like these, were pe these were people who were at the stage of life to follow a rabbi, and that means that they were culturally at the time uh, most likely uh, at least young adults, if not teenagers. Uh, and that blew my mind when I first uh, learned that from somebody else. And it makes, it makes sense, too, because then when you see some of the ways the disciples bicker with each other, you're like, oh, yeah, like, 
if they're 16 or whatever, like that makes more sense uh, to know that. But Jesus knew that there, there was this massively great, val- uh, great value in investing in the next generation because of what they would do. And look at what they did. Like young adults are the reason why we're here in this room right now is because these people went and spread it uh, across the world. They died for it. Um, and that ended up uh, continuing on through uh, their, their effort by the grace of God. If our mission as Christians is to spread the good news to the lost so that the world might come to know the love of Jesus, we'd be foolish not to start with teens. We'd be foolish not to start with teenagers and adolescents. But th- there's a sad reality here. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show some, some stats here uh, that are uh, alarming, honestly. Um, we'll start here. Uh, in, in 2017, uh, 75% of kids left the faith from ages 18 to 29. So these are kids that came up through the church that as soon as they were out of the house, at some point immediately or down the road, they left the faith. 75%. That is just, that is just enormous. Um, and this is where it gets worse. Uh, and this lays out uh, a teen's need to be seen. Um, I'm going to rattle some of these off. So since... 2007 in the United States, um, suicide rates have increased by 76% for ages 15 to 19. Uh, and they've nearly doubled for, for teen girls. The highest rate of increase uh, in suicide among all age groups uh, is in kids between uh, ages 10 to 14. Uh, depressive symptoms are up 21% in teen boys, 50% in teen girls. And in early 2020, an estimated one out of four young adults contemplated suicide. So talk about the harassed and the helpless. This is awful. This is not, this is not good. We, we serve the God of hope, so I, I want to end up turning into that. But like, this is why the need is so great here. Uh, teenagers in the next generation, they, they need the church. They need to know the love of God. Um, but they also just need, I won't spoil it. Here's how we address this. Um, to address the first problem, uh, in that like 25%, so we said 75% leave, uh, in the 25% that stay uh, with the faith in the church, uh, one of the key factors was having at least one faith-focused, consistent adult in their lives other than their, their parents. Parents are the most influential person in your life. If you're a parent, uh, you have the most pull. But we've all heard the expression, it takes a village, Right? And this is what we end up seeing here. And then to the, set, to the second point, to those uh, set of uh, really disheartening statistics, uh, I find some comfort in uh, this quote right here uh, by uh, Dr. Chinway Williams said this, A secure attachment with an adult can not only help heal and rewire the brain, but it can also help decrease the risk for despair and suicidal thoughts in adolescence. So the bottom line here is teens need a team. Uh, they need someone outside their family who can identify uh, what makes them so cool and gifted, uh, help them navigate the complexity of what they're walking through, and, and help them to just be rooted in this faith that's going to give you life uh, for your entire life here on earth and then beyond. Um, but that is just the desperate need that I see here um, today. So what I want to uh, do is offer a challenge uh, to get involved with youth ministry. And if you're asking how to do that, I want to talk for, for a second. Uh, it's going to feel like I'm giving you the hard sell on youth ministry. Um, it's because I am. 
and, and why wouldn't I be, be, be doing this, that our teens, our adolescents need, need, need adult help uh, so, so much to be able to, to speak into that. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to address that here in a second, but uh, our youth ministry, we meet on Wednesdays at our youth center in the middle of town. We also open up uh, for Fridays to give teens a chance to come in and be able to uh, be themselves and be safe in uh, their own space. Uh, I want to show you kind of the, oh, this is called the 712 uh, ministry uh, for anybody who missed that before, but our vision for this ministry uh, that I've kind of uh, formulated into uh, some words here, not my own original thoughts, but to create environments where students can be known and experience God and to partner with parents to help them win in the lives of their students. So simply put, uh, my hope and um, my, my, my drive here is that every single teenager who comes through this church and, and attends our 712 ministry would know they have like an adult, like not just me or not just one of the very few very few people we have helping with this ministry right now, but they ha- they know they have an adult. Like that's my guy. Like that's that's my girl. Like they, um, you know, they 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 know, they know me uh, better than better than most. They're they're able to speak into my life, know what I'm capable of. They know how I've messed up, and they say I'm cool and that I, and that um, I, I'm lovable anyway. Right? Like they know my struggles and they help me through that alongside of my parents. Um, and the world changes when that happens. And that's what we see happening here. Uh, so there are so many needs here um, as far as like Wednesday small group leaders, people who we can trust to walk alongside and teach the word of God to middle school and high schoolers. We need mentors. We need uh, people who are willing to host uh, on a semi-regular basis on Friday nights at the youth center. Just the list goes on. Um, Another thing that I like to address here is this sentence to partner with parents. As somebody who's not a parent, I've got no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> I've got no idea. I need help. I, think, I, I have like a, like a general, like I feel like this is, the, but to have parents come along to this ministry too and say, this is what our teenagers are struggling with. This is how I can help. This is what the needs are here. Uh, that would just, God would take that and just, oh my word. So that we have a variety of needs here, and just know this, that if I, I've been praying that God would tug on people's hearts uh, with, this, with this issue, just know that it will be messy and exhausting. I'm pretty new to this. I'm not going to be a perfect leader uh, in this uh, setting as well, far from it. Um, but what I, want, what I want you to know is like we've got training that will be taking place this summer to be able to launch into the fall season and be able just to be a force for good for, for these teenagers who need us so, so badly. Uh, there is an application process. Uh, we, we like to try to be picky with where we place adults to, but I'm a firm believer that every single adult who has Jesus in their heart can, can come alongside this generation in some way or another based on however you're gifted. So I want to present a challenge to you here. Uh, this screen there, take a picture of this. This is not going to take a uh, stay up forever. Uh, but we've got a text in number for our uh, youth ministry. Uh, text, put me in coach. Um, if you want to put your name there as well, you can. But uh, if I see this, I'm going to follow up with you. This is not a commitment by any means. So don't feel like you're going to like burn a bridge if you send this and then like it just doesn't like you figure out this is not for you. Um, but I'd encourage you to take a step out of faith and, and do this. If you're feeling any sort of a tug at all, or if you're feeling on the fence at all, I'd love to be able to sit down uh, and meet with you here.
Because if we remember back to our, to our passage for this morning, in verse 38 in, in Matthew 9, uh, this is where Jesus tells us, Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. I need help in doing this. Oh, this team I've got, we cannot do this on our own. There are too many teenagers that just need, uh, are just in, in need here. So that, that's my pitch to all, all of you here, uh, desperately. Um, just for, for the sake of who we're, we have the ability to serve here in this ministry. Uh, I'm going to begin to address some, because this is such a specific ask, there are some like niche audiences here that I want to really quickly ad- address before we uh, close up here. Um, I have talked to a good handful of, of faithful, God-fearing, Jesus-loving people who I have approached and said, I think you'd be great at this. And they say, absolutely not. Teenagers terrify me. Like, absolute, like, middle schoolers are the meanest people in the world. They'll get to the thing that you don't like about you. Like, um, I, I, I just want to say, too, like, if you know yourself well enough, um, don't write yourself off, by the way. Like, just because, like, oh, like, I'm, I'm too old or I'm not relevant or cool or whatever. Like, the kids won't like me. Just, like, don't write yourself off, off on that. Um, but I would say, too, uh, just to broaden this message uh, uh, just a little bit, um, if, if this ministry is not for you, I would say, well, if, if, you're, if you're in Christ, if you believe in Jesus, you need to find, uh, if you're not already, because I know there's so many of you that are faithfully serving, uh, where is God calling you to get off the bench and into the field? Uh, so that, um, I just realized that, that field applies to uh, football, baseball, and also the harvest. That's interesting. Anyway, um, I'll be more intentional about that in the next service. Um, gosh, but like, what was I even saying just now? Okay, uh, ask yourself this question. Uh, what would you do uh, for the church if you know that you couldn't fail? That's a great question to, to ask yourself uh, if you're looking to serve in the church. And then just to quickly address a couple of uh, audiences here. If you are a student in this room yourself, we've like been talking about you while you're in the room. That might feel weird. Apologies. Uh, what I want you to get out of this is um, we're, we're talking about you because— I stink and think the world of you, and I do that because God thinks the world of you, and God thinks the world of you because he created you and he knows what you're capable of. He knows what he created you to do, and he will give you the strength to to do that, and he knows um, just how powerful you can be in the world. And and to grasp just how much God loves you is is what my hope would be for you. So when it comes to uh, deciding if you want to walk with God or not, whether you're graduating and you're heading off to the next thing or you're staying here in school, don't procrastinate this. Um, This will be the greatest joy uh, you ever experience in your life. I would not lie to you about that. Uh, If you're not a believer in this room, if you're somebody who's still uh, wrestling with this idea of Jesus, you're you're coming to church, I just want to say we're so happy that you're here um, and that I want you to hear that uh, we do not have a legalistic faith. Like this is not doing all this work and getting into the game so that we can be saved. We've all... If we place our faith in Jesus, he saves us. It is from salvation uh, that we work. And I just want you to know, uh, if you're putting this pressure on you or if you think this is like a, like a, a guilt session, um, no church service can ever be a guilt session because we know there's no condemnation in Christ, okay? So if anybody's feeling that weight, just, just wanted to get that out there as well if that wasn't uh, spoken already. Um, and then my last uh, group I want to speak to here is if you're on the bench uh, and you're content with that, like if you are uh, a, 
you know, you're, you're, you're a Christian, uh, you're, you're kind of like, kind of sitting back, and you're just like, you know what, I, I think I'll just go ahead and stay here. Um, I want to I speak boldly here uh, to anybody in the room that might need to hear this. Uh, this is not my opinion, uh, but I would just say, check yourself. Like, can a heart that has truly been impacted by the full steam of God's love truly be idle? Like, is that possible? I don't think so. I don't think that that's the case at all. So ask yourself why, and more importantly, ask God why. If you're feeling like this like apathy or this fear, whatever that is, go to God with that and ask him because he, because he loves when we ask him that question of um, how we can be uh, checking our heart in that case. Uh, so I'm going to summarize here uh, our three points. Jesus has compassion on those most in need of a shepherd. We get to be called workers and we have power from Jesus that ensures victory. So I, I want to close with this, and uh, we don't have time to read kind of the full context into this, so forgive me, I'm going to paraphrase. Um, but Jesus later on in the book of Matthew tells a story uh, about, uh, it, it's, it's a parable of the bags of, of gold, <clears throat> bags of gold, excuse me, um, that we get to see what it looks like and how the master responds when we serve uh, Jesus faithfully here. Craig's going to begin to come back up if he is uh, in the room here. We're going to um, be able to worship together one more time. But what we see is that at the end of the road, um, when we go to be with Jesus um, and we have been committing our life to him, that w- we get this reward of getting to go before him and having him look us in the eye and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Well, and like that, that would be like, that's the, that's the goal. That's what we're striving for, is to be able to hear that from our Creator and from our Savior at the end of the day, and we know uh, that we will. Um, not for salvation, but because Jesus is saying, I love you, and at the end of your time uh, here on earth, you're coming home to me. And in pure joy, we give our full hearts uh, in this life to serving the one who has called us to be free forever. So because it's a heart thing, it's not a, it's not a do works because we're guilted into it. It's, it's, a, it's a true a heart that's been stirred by God. Uh, I want to challenge us. Let's give our hearts to, to God right now in, in worship. Uh, I'm going to pray. Um, would, you all, would you all stand with me as I do this? And we're going to be able to, to lift this up to, to our Savior together. So gracious God, um, I pray that whatever word you're trying to communicate to anybody in this room, that it would make it there. God, you're, you're the God that is not content to leave us where we're at. You want to change the world and you want to do that through those who love you and, and believe in you and trust in you. So Lord, I pray for everybody in this room. Will you, will you stir in us to either accept you for the first time or to step up to the plate despite all of our fear and be able to trust um, that you're the God that's in control and that you've, that you win and that you win. So Lord, accept this worship from us. We pray all this in your name.